practical problems, and I, I don't take it lightly that she comes and is faithful to play the piano. And uh, certainly I, I thank the Lord for giving her the grace. And it's amazing, every time I talk to her, uh, she doesn't take it as credit to herself. She says, you know, if it wasn't for God, I couldn't do it. And she always gives the praise to the Lord, and I thank Him for giving her the strength to be here and the, uh, the resolve to be here, to be faithful. And uh, certainly a, a blessing. And, it, and I'll tell you, it encourages us, doesn't it? When we see other folks, uh, the, the, you know, we, we think sometimes that our life really only affects us, but it affects so many people, doesn't it? Uh, our faithfulness, our testimony affects so many others. And uh, we thank the Lord for Him allowing us to be... Have you ever thought of this? It is a privilege to be able to serve the Lord. It's not, it's, I think so many times as Christians, we think it's an obligation. It's something that we have to do, we must do. Can I tell you, it is a privilege. God did not have to choose to use us to do His work. And I'm thankful that He did. There's a lot of joy, isn't there, in serving the Lord, being able to uh, be a testimony, a witness to others, to be able to bring them to Christ. And uh, there's great joy in leading a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing them trust Him as their Savior. There's an awful lot of joy in finding someone who has backslidden or someone who has gone through some of the trials of life and have been uh, remiss in some of their faith and their faith is weakened to be able to come and to help strengthen them and encourage them and bring them back to the Lord Jesus Christ in these areas and get their life back on track. There's a lot of joy in helping one another. And then there's a lot of peace in knowing that there are other brothers and sisters out there that if I go through that, they will come to me and help me. And I'm so thankful for the fellowship that God gives to us, the opportunity we have to serve uh, the Lord in, in helping people. I, I uh, grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, and so I grew up in church. And I always had in my mind that the ministry was the work that we did. But the ministry is not the work we do. The ministry is people trying to find the needs that people have in their hearts and to help them with that from God's Word. And that is the ministry. Uh, vacuuming the floors, cleaning the bathrooms, painting the buildings. That's all work that needs to be done, and I'm certain there's an element of serving God in those things. But that's not the ministry. The ministry is reaching people and drawing their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 19, if you will, this morning. Psalm 19. I am going to do something today that I rarely ever do, and uh, I'm going to preach a message that, in a large part, uh, was affected by uh, some things that happened in the last week and a half in my life, and I've been so burdened about, and I don't know, maybe it was God's way of prompting me to preach on this subject. It's not something that... Uh, is going to be new. If you've been saved any length of time at all, you're going to sit there and say, Amen, Pastor, I know this. But I fear that oftentimes we have an intellectual knowledge of something and we don't hold to it. I remember when I went to college, uh, and those of you that have been in college know what I'm talking about, you uh, feel like you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant, uh, that, that you're catching some of it, but a lot of it's just... Too much, it's just too much. You go from one class to the other. You do it five days a week. You do various classes throughout the week, some on some days, some on other days. And by the time you get to the next class that, that's the same subject, you've forgotten what they taught the, the hour before. And I fear sometimes, even in our churches, we, you know, we have three services on Sunday. We have one on Wednesday night. And uh, we, we enjoy the services. We see it in Scripture. We amen it. We agree with it. We have an intellectual acceptance of it. Then we walk out the door, and because we've had so much given to us, or because we get distracted by the affairs of life, it, it soon fades from our memory. And we don't ponder it, and we don't live by it. And I think one of the great problems that we face today is uh, having an intellectual knowledge of the truth of God without having the living application of it. And uh, I was given three opportunities this week to uh, witness and be a part of in two of the situations I was actually there. Uh, one of them was something I was able to, to watch and, and see. 
And uh, I'm going to share with them with you. First, the first one I saw and I was able to see, uh, I watched a video of it, was a particular denominational church, a rather large one that was influential in their denomination. <coughs> one that, to be honest with you, a hundred years ago, uh, we would have been in agreement with doctrinally as far as salvation. Uh, would have had no problem with their issues of that. And... Uh, they were having a large meeting. It was a rather large church. And this wasn't the first one I had seen in recent days. Where they were meeting together for the purpose of determining whether they were going to separate from their denomination over an issue of whether they were going to allow uh, people in the homosexual movement to be a part of ministry in their denomination. And I was appalled. They, they even took a survey on this one particular thing I was watching. They took a survey of the a couple thousand people in the auditorium. The vast majority of them were what they considered to be uh, progressive in their thinking, progressive Scripture. And they were okay. In fact, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was about 82, 83% of the church said, we don't believe we ought to separate over this issue. It's okay to have them in, in positions of leadership, uh, in, in pastoring or platform ministry of the church. And, uh, and I thought, they, these are people who, some of, them, some of them years in ministry, that had seen the Scriptures, they had studied the Scriptures, they knew the Scriptures well. But when it came time to making a decision on where their position was, they began to look at Scripture from a progressive lens. Can I tell you this? The Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It doesn't change with society. And where we are at today is we're in a place where our, in, our, our inclination, I say ours, not ours, but those that would be in this, of this mindset, their, their, their inclination is to change the Bible to fit society. That society is what influences how you read Scripture. And that's their position. I submit to you this morning that that has never been the case. But rather, the Bible was intended to influence society. And society is to come under the influence of the Scriptures. And I want to encourage us in this. And I'm not going to preach specifically on the topic or the subject of homosexuality today because the other two issues were not dealing with that particular issue. But I was uh, involved in another situation uh, here in the last eight days or so, nine days, uh, of uh, a couple that were uh, there in their life is living in opposition to Scripture in many areas. And yet they want to be used in leadership. And again, I, I sit there and I, I look at that and I think, how can they. I understand not one not one person is perfect, not even this pastor or any pastor that stands in the pulpit. We're not perfect. But there ought to be a striving to live holy. There ought to be a heart to live holy. There ought not to be a justification of, well, that's just the way I am, so I'm just going to live this way. That should never be the case. And um, And again, I think, well, how in the world can they get to this place when they know Scripture, they understand it? And then I had a meeting with two young ladies this week, and uh, uh, they had a particular issue that they were wanting me to go through and study and, and see if maybe I was wrong on the issue. And uh, their comment to me was, well, uh, you need to uh, go and read it in the Hebrew. And if you read it in the Hebrew, <laughs> you can see that it's, it's not as definitive or as clear about it. And so there could be some ambiguity of the subject, and, and you know, therefore you can't really teach it authoritatively. Can I tell you this? I have studied it. I've studied it in its entirety in Scripture numerous times. And, and what I believe about it uh, doesn't even matter. Because I saw a, a thing this week, and I loved what the fellow said. He said, there is, there is not my truth and your truth. There is simply truth. And anything beyond that is our opinion. And when it comes to the truth of God's Word, it is irrefutable. And my fear is this, that we, even in our good churches, because I'll tell you this, 
the, the folks that I, I came across in this, in this area, two of the three were, were faithful church attenders. Faithful church attenders that teach and preach this same Bible that you and I hold in our laps today. A church denomination that used to hold to the verbal inspiration of Scripture, the infallibility of it, the preservation of it. They used to hold to, if the Bible says it, whether I agree with it or not, it's still settled because it's truth. And they've changed. They've become progressive in their interpretation and understanding of Scripture. And I want to charge us today. Uh, let's not look at the, the Scriptures progressively. Let's not take society and what society is pressuring us to do and then come to Scripture and see how we can make the Bible fit this progressive idea. Let's start with the Bible. And then let's go out into the world and into society and let's be salt and light to them. Let's take this truth and propagate it and, and declare it. I believe we ought to do it in love. And I think that you know, certainly the Lord came when Jesus came. He came with grace and truth. Yes, the truth was uncompromised, but He was also gracious in His delivery. You have the message and you have the method, and we've got to make sure that the method doesn't overshadow the message. It's got to be done graciously. Let's look in Psalm 19 for a moment. And I want to do something today, hopefully, Lord willing, if, if the Lord will allow this to, to happen in this service, that even though these are things that you and I know and are holding to, that we become so solid and established in our faith on these things. <clears throat> that we will not be swayed by the arguments or the philosophy of society. And I'll tell you this, there will be people out there that will try to get us to feel sorry or to feel bad about or to be emotionally distraught over our position. And I tell you this, we must hold to Scripture regardless of how we feel. I want us to make sure that we understand these things. Look with me in Psalm 19. And we're going to begin in verse number 7. Psalm 19 and verse number 7. The psalmist writes this, The law of the Lord is what? Perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what? Sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are what? Right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is what? Pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are what? True and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. There's the warning of Scripture, and there is the keeping of Scripture. And my fear today is that many Christians have been warned of Scripture, and they've been taught of Scripture. But very few of us really give our diligence, really determine in our hearts that we are going to keep it. That it is going to be line upon line, precept upon precept, and established in our hearts. Father, I pray that You'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Lord, my heart has been heavy this week. Watch, watching us people who should know better. People who have Your Word. People who have Your Holy Spirit guiding them in truth and understanding of Scripture. Our misunderstanding and they're choosing willingly to allow their Scriptures to be tainted. To be corrupted with the influence of society. Lord, may we learn that Your truth is pure. It is established forever. It is perfect. It is absolute. And therefore, it cannot and must not be discouraged by society. It cannot be corrupted by society. And Lord, as we look into its pages, I pray that You would help our hearts, no matter how much our emotions may want to go a direction that we don't see in Scripture, no matter how much our lust of the flesh wants to go a different direction than Scripture, Lord, may we purpose in our hearts that not only are we going to be warned of it, but we are going to keep it and therefore get great reward for it. Father, may You establish us today in this wonderful truth of Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing to me how oftentimes I stand in the pulpit 
have the opportunity to teach the truth of God's Word. I was talking with a fellow this week. It's amazing. Now, I've talked with a number of folks recently. How many times, even in recent days, I've heard men that I, I look up to, men that I uh, hold in high regard as far as understanding of Scripture and as far as faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, that will get up in a pulpit and begin to preach, and then they will begin to say, uh, this, this passage should be better translated. Or, or this word should be better translated this way. And what they don't say, but what they're saying in essence is, this book that we hold in our hands cannot be trusted. There are problems with it. And if there's a problem in any area of it, then how do we know there are not problems in other areas of it? And we begin to make subjective decisions on whether or not that's a good interpretation. I was sitting with a couple of, this young, a couple of young ladies this week and talking with them over this issue. The idea of, uh, well, the, 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 the Bible, it could be better translated. They didn't translate that right when they put it into our King James Bibles. Uh, they, they translated that wrong. And I said, well, if we, if we do that, then we can't trust anything in our Bibles. Because how do we know? We're, we're beginning to say, I'm trusting my judgment of that tr- translation. And then we start saying, okay, I think that I know better than God did when He enabled the King James translators and He helped them and assisted them supernaturally in translating this book for the English-speaking people. If you'll stay with us till the 1 o'clock service after lunch today, Lord willing, if the Lord doesn't change in between this time and next, I'm going to be dealing specifically with how our Bible came into being, how we got our King James Bible. And why it is so important that we have a source of authority that is not only inspired by God in the originals, but it has been preserved without error in our modern uh, King James Version 1611 Bibles that we hold in our laps today. There are two different lines of text, and we'll talk about this next hour, that we get our, our Bibles from. One of them is from a group of people who said, we want to get our doctrine from the Bible because our doctrine must be pure. And in order for our doctrine to be pure, we must have a pure word to get it from, without error, without fallibility. There's another group of people out there who said, here's what we believe and this is our doctrine. We must make our Bible match our doctrine. And so they have changed the Scriptures. And I tell you this, and I, I sat there as uh, these young people were sharing with me this week. Well, I think that, and this was their comment, they said, we think that there's some errors in, in the translation work. And I said, well, who, who determined that? They said, well, there's some men that have uh, come out here recently and determined that. Can I tell you this? There's not a person alive on the face of the earth today that, had this, that has the scholastic aptitude that the men that translated our King James Bibles had. Not only that... But from a human standpoint only, that would be enough argument. But the fact that God has promised to preserve His Word without error for every generation causes me to say, if the other Scriptures are correct and this book here is wrong, then for 400 years we've not had the promise of God accurately. For 400 years we've not had a preserved without error Word of God for this generation. I believe and wholeheartedly that this King James Bible that we hold in our laps, not the new one, this old King James Bible, is not only the inspired, but is the preserved, infallible, without error Word of God. And it must be so. Because when I get up to preach, I'm not going to preach to you my opinion. I'm going to preach to you this is what the Bible says. And if I say that this Bible is imperfect then how can you trust anything that I preach from this pulpit? I undermine the very authority that I claim to preach the gospel from. And we're living in a day where men are trusting other authorities. Some of us, and I'm talking about good, well-intentioned men who have trusted Christ as their Savior, men and women that are living and breathing and going to these churches today, and they're, they're saying, we, we have trusted Christ as our Savior. We believe the Bible to be true. But we're going to take as our authority on what our position should be on something. We're going, to, we're going to take that authority by what is acceptable by society, what the society that we live in today thinks is right or thinks is wrong. Can I tell you this? My Bible says that the world is going to wax worse 
and worse. Why would I ever trust the world's philosophy, the world's position on things for my authority? If it's going to continue to decline, if it's going to continue to, to delve into this, this decline of moral corruption, why would I trust their position on things for my authority? So I don't look to society for my authority. Can I tell you this? It's amazing to me how many times a Christian that trusts Christ as their Savior would never say, I'm going to let society be my authority, but they will, they will in practice do this. They'll say, I'm the authority. And by the way, human nature has that tendency to do that. To say, this is what I believe, and it must be true. And I'll argue, and I'll debate, and I'll logic with other people, and I'll get involved in discussions with other people, because this is what I believe. It's not enough. I shared a couple weeks ago, there was a young man, a number of years ago, that was wanting to be ordained into the ministry, and a group of preachers met together to form a panel to inquire of him about his doctrine and to make sure that he was doctrinally sound and not a novice when it came to the Word of God. And he answered all of the questions correctly. He, he, they, they spent a good hour or two just really kind of dealing with doctrinal issues. And he kept saying, I believe this, and he would give the Scripture. He'd say, from the Scripture, here it is. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. When they got all done, the men retired and went to a meeting. They discussed it for a while and prayed over him. And then they came back having uh, the, the, the uh, desire to say, we're going to go ahead and extend an ordination to this young man. And one of the elder men that was in that group, one of the older preachers, wrote a note in handed it to the young man after his ordination. And the note was simply saying this, Young man, you need to stand in front of a mirror and begin to say, The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and quit saying, I believe. Because the truth of the matter is, if I stand up here and tell you what I believe, that's no different than your opinion. But if I can stand up here and say, The Bible says, now we have authority. So when it comes to these issues, these social issues, the Bible is not a progressive book. The Bible is established forever. Now, I will say this. It's applicable to every, every generation. But it is not progressive in its interpretation. Let's look at several Scriptures here. and Keep your Bible handy. We're going to look at a lot of Bible. Because I don't want you to know what Brother Greg thinks about it. I want you to see what the Bible says about it. Alright? So we're going to try to do this as the Bible says. Let's look in 2 Timothy, first of all, chapter number 3. Very familiar passage. A lot of people can quote this verse. We know it very well. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and verse number 16. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse number 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration of God. God gave it, word by word, to the authors. He told them each and every word of it, so much so that the Bible says not even one, uh, one jot or one tittle is going to pass away from it. Uh, that this is a book that God has inspired, not just the ideas of, but the very words of. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why, does it, why is it so important that we understand that this book is inspired by God? It is profitable to us, but he, does, he establishes this to Timothy, and he makes sure that as a young man, and a young man going into ministry, that Timothy understands that all of this Scripture is given to him, that the man of God, look in verse 17, might be perfect. Now, the word perfect here doesn't mean without sin. It means literally to be spiritually mature. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That this book is intended. Now, and, and bear with me, look at the passage carefully. It is intended to change the character of man. It is not intended for man to change the interpretation of it. It is written that, and the Bible tells us here, that the man of God may be perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. By what method? By the Bible. By the all Scripture that's given by inspiration of God. It is to do a work of transforming the heart and the mind and the thoughts of man. 
Our thoughts of morality, our thoughts of uh, how we should uh, view a situation should not ever be based on our emotion. Our emotion is flawed. It should not ever be based on our sense of justice. Well, that's not fair. Or that's fair. I'll tell you this. Our justice is flawed. Mine and yours. Can we always trust that God's justice is perfect? Absolutely. So if He says it's wrong, guess what? Whether I disagree with it or not, it's wrong. If He says something is not to be done, it doesn't matter how I feel about it, it's not to be done, according to Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable, all of it. It is from God Himself. It doesn't contain God's Word. It is God's Word. All of it. Look with me in Second Peter chapter number 1. And I've heard uh, some people say, I, I was teaching on uh, one of Paul's epistles the other day, uh, on a, several months ago now, uh, on a particular subject. And I actually had a comment from somebody that listened to the message. And they said, well, uh, yeah, but you've got to understand, uh, the day that Paul grew up in, the culture that he was in, uh, that he wrote these things because of the culture he was in. And that's the way he felt about things. No, no. How much of the Scripture was inspired by God? All of it. All of it. So everything Paul wrote, everything Paul wrote was inspired by God. Every bit of it. Now look with me in Second Peter, chapter number 1. Because these people were saying, well, that's just the way Paul thought about this issue. Look with me in First Peter, chapter 1. Verse number, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse number 20. Knowing this first, so this is a high priority issue. This is a top of the list issue. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any what? Private interpretation. The writers of Scripture were not just mad about something or getting on their soapbox and saying, I'm just going to write about this because I really feel strongly about this. They wrote because the Holy Spirit of God inspired them to write those very words. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not just because that's the way Paul felt about it. Paul wasn't saying, I'm the authority on this issue. He was saying, God is. God is the one who allowed me to write these things. God is the one that inspired me to write these things. And even things that we call the preferential verses that uh, people look to and say, well, Paul said, I speak this by uh, permission, not by command. If it was not what God intended for us to have, He would not have given Paul permission to write it. It was not Paul's opinion. It was God's inspiration. Because it is not of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by their emotions. Is that what your Bible says? They spake as they were moved by the society acceptance of an issue. Is that what it says? And no, what does it say there? It says that they spake as they were moved by the what? Holy Ghost. Inspiration. Inspiration. Everything that is in this book is not because somebody just felt this way about it. By the way, if they didn't write that way, if they didn't say, okay, this is how I feel about it, so I don't think this is right, then neither should you and I feel that way. We should take the truth of God's Word and say, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if I think it's fair or not. Or if I think God is being too mean, because my justice, my understanding of justice is flawed. And it's flawed by a sinful condition. God's justice is perfect. Let's look at some other verses of Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17. And folks, I know on a Sunday morning crowd... This is probably one of those messages, 90% of us here probably, 95% of us probably don't need to have preached to us again. But I'll tell you this, by way of remembrance, we need, to be, we need to be stirred by this. We need to not just know it, we need to be established in it. We need to hold to it firmly. This needs to be, uh, this needs to be a foundational doctrine. If this doctrine fails, every other doctrine we hold to fails. It is the key to everything that we believe. Everything that we hold to. And if I can't agree on that, then we might as well shut the doors of this church and dissolve it. There's no purpose in being here. Because you're just coming every week to hear my opinion about things. We've got to know this is the book of God. That every word in it is inspired and preserved by Him without error for us. Look with me in John chapter number 17. Look in verse number 17. 
John chapter 17 and verse number 17. The Bible says, sanctify them. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, let's, let's back up to verse number uh, 13. Go to verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, meaning those that are in the world, uh, I have given them my, uh, thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. So, again, we're dealing with people that are in the world, not of the world, but in the world. So he's talking about those that are believers. That these need to stay in the world. Why? Verse number 15, I pray that thou shouldest take them out of the world, that thou, uh, pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy, what? Truth. Thy word is truth. Can I tell you this? That the word of God is to have a sanctifying effect on those of us that are in this world. Not the other way around. The world isn't to influence those of us that are in the world. This book and those of us that believe are to be sanctifying them through the word. We're to be teaching them some things. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but not of it. Even as Christ was in the world, but He was not of it. And the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Where's the truth? He tells us, thy word is truth. This is the thing that will sanctify and purify the world we live in today. You say, what are we going to do? We need to elect more uh, congressmen, or we need to elect a, a more conservative leadership in Washington, D.C. That will not solve the problem. This book will solve the problem. We've just got to get back to it. Christians have got to get back to it, by the way. I know it's easy for us to say, yes, boy, Pastor, the, the world, they need to get back to this book. Christians need to get back to it. In the day we live, churches need to get back to it. I sat there this week and just shook my head with amazement at a church that's, that used to be doctrinally sound on at least the, the, the major doctrines of salvation and eternal security. And I sat there and I shook my head in wonderment. How in the world did this church denomination get to this point? Their churches, their pastors, their pulpits quit preaching on the truthfulness and the sanctifying effect of this book. And they began to look at society as their authority. And said, well, this is, this is something that if we don't reach out to them and if we don't accept them in, then they're going to look at us in a bad light. Can I tell you this? If you're living the way you ought to live, the world's going to look at you in a bad light anyway. We're to be salt to them and we're to be light to them. Now, we do it with grace. We want to reach those people but we're not going to wrap and embrace their sin and bring it into the church house and say, get up there and teach us about your sinful ways. We're not going to put them in leadership on this platform. We're not going to have them stand up here and say, it's okay to be contrary to God's Word. And this verse didn't really mean what it said it means. We're not going to have people like that get up and teach us. Why? Because we're to be the influence on them. Let me rephrase that. This book, as it is lived in our lives, and as it is proclaimed through our lips are to be an influence on them, not the other way around. You say, Pastor, boy, that sounds harsh. Are you saying that we shouldn't bring these people in and let them be pastors of our churches? That's exactly what I'm saying. You say, what gives you the right? Because it's not my opinion. I got that from this book right here. Not supposed to happen. Not supposed to be a part of it. The Bible tells us very clearly we're not to fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Not to have a part of it. Now, does that mean we don't try to reach them with the gospel? No, that's not what that means. We absolutely are to reach them with the gospel. We absolutely are to take the gospel message to them and hopefully they get saved. And just like you and I were saved from our sin, they can be saved from their sin. And I'm not at all condoning the fact that we do not go to them and try to reach them with the gospel. What I'm saying is we don't embrace their sinful nature and say we want it to become a part of our fellowship. Look with me in Proverbs chapter number 3. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 30. Excuse me. 
Proverbs chapter 30. Again, these are things that God's Word teaches us. That this book is a sanctifying book. It is the thing that is supposed to do the changing in men's hearts. Not society. Not our feelings. Not our sense of justice. All of those are tainted by the sinful nature of man. Only this book can be the authority in, my life, in our life. I've told my children, I've got three of them, three teenagers. My desire for them as a parent, above everything else, is that they grab a hold of an authority that cannot be refuted, that cannot be challenged in the area of its truthfulness and infallibility to establish their beliefs in life. Society doesn't offer that. The laws of the United States of America don't offer that. I'll be real frank with you. Even a lot of teaching in our churches do not offer that. But the Word of God does. The songwriter wrote it this way, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Oh, that we would learn to anchor our souls to that authority that is unimpeachable, that is infallible. That we would anchor our souls in the, the way that we live our lives and the way that we believe and hold to things from a moral perspective, that we could be a, a light, once again, that is set upon a candlestick and gives light to the whole room. That we could be a city of good testimony that is up on a hill, that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, a city set on a hill where that cannot be hid. That there would once again be in this nation, and not only in this nation, but throughout the world, some Christians that will rise up and say the truth of God's Word is paramount. Above the way I feel, above the way I believe, above the way that I am comfortable, above all things. If persecution comes, so be it. If ridicule comes, so be it. If being ostracized comes, so be it. Above all, in my life, the paramount thing is the truth of God's Word. It's got to be the paramount thing. And if it's not, everything else that you and I believe has no authority and is just an opinion. It must be established. This can't be something that we just know. It's got to be something that we keep hold of got to be something that we anchor ourselves to. And when we come to determine our position on things, I, I remember I told uh, my, uh, my oldest daughter a number of years ago, uh, I was talking with her, we were out for a daddy-daughter date, and we were out eating one night, and I was sharing with her some things. She was in the uh, early college years and just getting to the place where she was making some decisions in her life. And I said, listen, I said, I remember a time when I was just after my junior year of high school. I grew up in a pastor's home. Mom and Dad taught me everything I was supposed to believe in up until that time. Now, they taught me from God's Word, and I'm thankful for that. But as far as I was concerned at that age, everything I believed was because Mom and Dad taught it to me. And I remember those, those years, my junior year, the summer of my junior year, after I was done there going into my senior year, saying, I've got to, I'm getting ready to graduate, and I'm getting ready to go out on my own, and I better know what I believe, not because Mom and Dad say so, because there are going to be people that are going to challenge my beliefs, and I better not say because that's what my mommy taught me. Or that's what my dad taught me. I'm thankful for my mom and dad. Don't get me wrong. But they are no authority. They are fallible. I've told my kids, your mom is fallible, not your dad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've told them, your parents are fallible. Now, we, we try to teach you right, and we try to teach you from God's Word. But don't just take something that we've taught you as the authority for what you believe the rest of your life. Because we're going to be wrong on something. And that's going to cause you, whether you want to or not, you're going to always then question, were they wrong in some other areas too? But I said, take the Bible. Because it is without error. You can hold to every single thing that's written in its pages as absolute authority. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5. Every word of God. How many? Every one of them. Every word of God is what? 
pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. This book is something that we can hold to knowing that every word of it is pure. Every bit. Not just every thought, not just every concept, not just every principle. Every word. And if the Bible says it, regardless of our emotions, regardless of our sense of justice, regardless of society's approval, it is truth. You can have an opinion, but it may or may not be wrong. The truth will never change. And it will always be right. Look with me in Psalm 119. We're almost done. Bear with me. I know we're seven minutes past what we normally do. Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 119, verse number 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. Now this, this was probably the key verse that came to mind, and, and I shared this when I was dealing with somebody who felt, felt like the Bible is kind of a progressive book. Well, you know, you can't, I, I, one of the questions was asked me this week, how do we get young people back in church? Return to the Bible. You know when young people quit dropping or started dropping out of church? When churches started de-emphasizing the Bible and began emphasizing entertainment. And young people started leaving the church. And now they're so hungry for the entertainment side, they won't tolerate doctrine. They won't tolerate teaching of God's Word. Notice what the Bible says here, Psalm 119, verse number 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is what? For how long? Forever. It is settled in heaven. Can I tell you this? The word of God is not progressive. It is applicable to every generation. But it doesn't change. When, when men become more modern in their thinking, and that's their ideas, well, we've, we've evolved to a greater level of intellect. I, I, I differ with that opinion. I think in my lifetime I've seen that uh, refuted. But the mindset is, well, we've evolved into a greater intellect, and therefore we can understand morality far better than we did a hundred years ago. Can I tell you this? We get our morality from this book. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. What was right a hundred years ago is still right. What was wrong a hundred years ago is still wrong. It didn't change with society. And yet it's amazing to me how many times we have drifted. I look in my lifetime at how much Christianity has drifted in what they consider to be right and wrong. Why? Because we've gotten away from the authority being God's Word. We've put the authority in our pastor or in our Sunday school teachers or in our lawmakers. Maybe even in our friends' opinions when the authority should have been God's Word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Look in verse 140, the same chapter. Thy word is what? Verse, uh, verse 140, Psalm 119, verse 140. Thy word is what? Very pure. Very pure. <laughs> it had been enough. If God said it was pure, we would say, okay, then that means there's no impurities in it. But just for our sake, I think, He did this. He says it's very pure. It's pure and there is no question about it. It is pure. It's not up for debate. It's not up for a discussion. It is very pure. Look with me, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 35. Matthew chapter 24. Verse number 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall what? Shall not pass away. That's a pretty powerful statement. This book is settled. It's true. It's pure. It's right. It is that which we can anchor our Beliefs, our morals, our opinions, our desires, our affections, 
we can establish them all on this book and be assured that they are right. Not because we think them to be right, but because God's Word teaches us that they are right. Not because society has dictated them to be right. Not because lawmakers have legislated it to be right. Not because of our sense of fairness or unfairness. But simply because God's Word said it. Years ago when I was a kid, there was a song that was written, and it was a catchy little tune back in the 70s. That kind of dates me a little bit. Uh, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. I remember my dad, uh, a few years after that was written, got up in church one night and he said, you know, there's this song out here people are singing. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. He said, you know, the truth is, God said it. And it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. That still settles it. Because there is not my truth and your truth. There is simply truth. And anything other than that is our opinion. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Back to where we began at the message. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We did not read the last verses, and I want to read them for you in way of concluding the message. Who can understand his errors? We're fallible. In fact, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And we sometimes are fallible not even realizing we're fallible. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. These are faults that even we're not aware of. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. After having established all of these things about God's Word, he makes these statements. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, not to society, not to my own fleshly desires, but I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord. My strength and my Redeemer. The things that I say, the things that I hold to and believe, I want them to be acceptable in His sight. I'm not worried about being accepted by society. I'm not worried as some preachers are. And, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like I, I don't care about what you guys think. I want you to think right according to God's Word, but to be honest with you, if it comes down to your approval, it really doesn't matter to me. And I don't mean that in an unkind way. If the Bible says it, if you disbelieve it or, or don't believe it, it's not something that's going to sway the way I hold to it. There are men of God that, I say men of God, there's, there are men who self-proclaim themselves to be men of God all over the country today while we're sitting here in this room that are standing up behind pulpits and they are teaching the people in their congregations things that tickle their ears and they refuse to teach the whole counsel of God. They refuse to teach on things of morality. They refuse to teach on things that the Bible declares that are applicable to this whole social justice movement that's in the world today. They refuse to deal with those topics from Scripture. And they are more concerned with what people think about their message 
than they are about proclaiming the truth to people who need to hear it. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. In thy sight. When I get done preaching, I enjoy when people shake my hand and say, Pastor, that was a good message. I enjoy that. But to be real honest with you, if that never took place, the only thing I'm concerned with is when I go over to the house, for me to get down on my knees as I often do, and say, Lord, I sure hope that was pleasing. I sure hope that was acceptable. And I'm fallible like you are. And there are times I get there and I think, Lord, I didn't do that the best I could of today. Can I encourage us to be established, not just know this, but to be established in this truth? Because two out of the three occurrences this week were from people who have for a lifetime known and studied and read the Word of God and yet they were swayed. And if it can happen to them, I will tell you this, it can happen to me, and it can happen to you. We must be established in this truth. Sanctify them through Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message. Lord, may we recommit our hearts today. Not just hear a message... That's one of many that we've heard in the recent months or years. May we not leave this place and quickly forget. May we hold firm and be resolved in this issue that Your Word is truth. 